This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, a special series focusing on leading through uncertain times. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. I've dedicated a series of shows to exploring the qualities, tools, tactics, and mindset leaders from all sectors may need to navigate unsettling times and transform order out of chaos. The authors and thinkers presented here offer insights and advice that is applicable to all sectors, including the public sector. What is gratitude? Why is gratitude an essential quality and an effective leader today? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Chester Elton, co-author with Adrian Gostick of Leading with Gratitude. Chester, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Uh, Thanks for the invite, Michael. Always a pleasure to be on uh, with smart and intelligent people like yourself. (laughs) So, Chester, what is gratitude? No, gratitude is very simple. And I think intuitively and emotionally, we get what gratitude means. You know, it's thankfulness or gratefulness, you know, for for what we have, for our lives, for our health, and so on. It's that really, that really, uh, that emotion around just being thankful. I think that sums it up. Well, what's your definition? I think, Chester, you and Adrian hit the nail on the head uh, with this one, given what we are dealing with today. Uh, it is a moment when we recognize that we have more than what we lack and what we don't have, and that we should uh, be appreciative of that. That's what gratitude is for me. Yes. Well, you know, we, we had some fun. We actually didn't put this in the book. It'd be fun for us to do this up front. We actually asked uh, all the leaders that we interviewed what they thought the opposite of gratitude was. So let me throw that out to you. What would your definition of the opposite, what word, and you can't say ingratitude, that's too easy. Okay, Michael, he's gonna be, what word would you use to describe the opposite of gratitude? The opposite of gratitude, uh, the first word that comes to mind for me is parsimony, stinginess. Uh, that's, That's what comes to mind for me. You know, parsimony, that's the first time anybody's used that word. (laughs) Michael, you are quite the wordsmith. That's got to be at least a triple word score in Scrabble. Um, You know, we had some really interesting answers. One was uh, egotistical, selfish, narcissistic. Well, here's what's really interesting. Uh, The one I really liked was uh, entitlement. You know, when when you feel entitled, uh, why would you be grateful? Uh, it's stuff you're supposed to have anyway. And I will tell you a cute story. One of the one of the uh, CEOs that we just adore that's in the book is is Kent Taylor. He's the founder and current uh, chairman and CEO of Texas Roadhouse Restaurants. And uh, he was out, you know, looking for a new store location. And I said, Kent, what do you think the opposite of, of gratitude is? And he said, Ah, oh, geez, I don't know. Um, 
being a jerk. <laughs> now, he didn't say jerk. He used another word that had to do with donkeys and, and, and people's behinds. The point is, is that gratitude to me is, is being kind. You know, when, when you're grateful, when you're thankful, I think kindness follows. And to your point, I think where we are now in the world, we need a little more gratitude. We need a little more kindness and we need a little more patience. And that's why we love that our book came out when it did. So Chester, why is gratitude, especially today, an essential quality for an effective leader? You know, we've been doing a lot of research, you know, real time on how do you lead through a crisis? And of course, you can't lead effectively through a crisis if you don't have credibility before the crisis, right? Like, well, trust me now. Well, I didn't trust you before. Why would I trust you now? You know, those kinds of things. Two things that we found that you really have to amplify and ramp up is communication, right? Because in a, in a communication void, uh, fear fills that void, right? And the second is gratitude. This idea of filling the void with, with hope and gratitude and celebrating little wins along the way. It's really interesting. It's, it's often seen as a soft skill and a nice to have. I'm telling you, it's absolutely, and the numbers bear it out. You know, we have a, an enormous database that we draw off of is that it's not a soft skill, it's a hard skill, and it is not a nice to have, it's a must have, especially when you're going through hard times. People need to be informed and they need to feel valued, and communication and gratitude check both those boxes. Your book, Chester, uh, does a wonderful job of providing practical uh, advice and, uh, and guidance. And uh, so, so why is it so important to create triggers in your work and in your life as a leader, to remember to focus on gratitude. You know, I, and I love the triggers. You know, we got that from our good friend, Marshall Goldsmith, who's this incredibly um, effective and famous executive coach. He says, create triggers just as reminders. We all get busy. We all get, you know, I've got to check the boxes. We're doing hard things today and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm doing more with less. You know, this is unprecedented times. The triggers help remind you to do those things every day that build the culture that you want and that create the right relationships you want. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. We have uh, Carlos Aguilera is one of our, our favorite executives for Avis Budget Rental Car in Dallas, Texas. And one of the triggers that he sets up for himself is he puts 10 coins in his left pocket. And it reminds him to have 10 positive interactions with his people every day. And the way he keeps track is he moves a penny from his left pocket to his right pocket. A simple little trigger. And it's really interesting as, as we were interviewing him for our book, All In, which was all about culture. He said, you know, it's interesting. If I get to lunch and I've got eight pennies in my left pocket, I'm not doing my job. That simple trigger, that simple reminder, really effective, don't you think? As a follow-up, Chester, do you have any suggestions for how to create these triggers? You bet. I, I'm a great list maker, and I know many people are. I try to get eight things done every morning. And one of those, one of those things is write a handwritten note once a day. And so I, I set a goal to have five a week. Now, sometimes I'm writing five on Friday. Okay, I'm not going to admit it. You've got to do some catch-up sometimes. Um, you know, it, it is those simple little things that, that are little reminders. You know, and I think if we put it on that list, if we put it on like, you know, I'm going to exercise today, or I'm going to stretch today, or I'm going to you know, meditate today, whatever it might be. You put that on your list. You know, I'm going to text two or three people today. I'm going to write a handwritten note today. I'm going to call someone today. Uh, those are great triggers. Now, what happens is initially executives will say, well, I'm just doing it to check the box. And I go, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what you should be doing, right? It's what you do to begin with 
as you develop that habit and as that trigger becomes a part of your leadership style, you go from it's something that you do to some, someone that you are. And that only happens with repetition and practice. That's why triggers, I think, are so important. I was wondering, as I was reading your book, um, you share a couple of interesting anecdotes. And I was wondering, what are the most effective ways for leaders to express gratitude? You know, that's a, that's a big question, <laughs> right? And, and we, we address them in the book and we say, look, know your players. Because everybody wants to be valued in, in a little different way. You know, I'll give you a, a classic example. A good friend of mine, you know, living in Detroit, wanted a job in New York City. You know, he was in broadcasting, in broadcast sales. And so an opening came up in his company in, in New York, and he interviewed for the job, and he got it, you know. And so he goes back to Detroit, tells his wife, said, oh, this is going to be so great. Can't wait to move to New York. And they got all excited. Well, a couple of days later, a package shows up, and it's from his new manager in New York. It's this great big box, and they open it up. It's to celebrate his, his new job, and it's this giant bottle of champagne. I mean, like, how cool is that, right? Celebration, champagne, except in, in their faith, and their faith-based family, they don't drink alcoholic beverages, <laughs> right? So it was good intent, and I'm sure that, he, you know, his boss loved champagne and thought it was the perfect way. So great intent, poor execution. The, the upside of the story is the neighbors loved that bottle of champagne, you know, that manager had an opportunity to really appreciate their next door neighbors. So my point is, is, you know, how, what's the best way? Ask your folks. I, I think it's a very simple thing that, that good leaders do. You know, when it comes time to celebrate, how would you like to be celebrated? Do you want time off with your family? Do you want, you know, the red carpet and bells and whistles? You know, would you like a, a small donation to your favorite charity? Would you like time off to work for your favorite charity? So I, I, I love the question. The answer isn't as simple as give everybody a bottle of champagne, right? While practicing gratitude may be easy, Chester, why is it one of the most misunderstood and misapplied tools of management? You know, I think, you know, it's, it's such a great question. It's, it's why we really wrote the book. Why is it so misunderstood when it really is so simple to understand? And I think we, we've gotten caught up in a lot of things that what is politically correct, what isn't politically correct. Am I overdoing it? Am I stepping out of bounds? Am I going to forget somebody in, 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 in praising Susan? Am I alienating Rob? You know, and so we get caught up in all the negativity when in fact a simple thank you goes a long way. We have an expression that we use often. We say, look, gratitude, it's common sense. It's just uncommonly practiced. And I think it's because we, we tend to overthink it, right? Don't overthink it. Uh, try this. Say thank you. Start there. <laughs> it, it, you're probably pretty safe on that one, you know. Your book, uh, Chester, Leading with Gratitude, identifies a staggering gratitude deficit in the work world. Why is there a chasm between knowing that gratitude works and the failures of many leaders to practice it and do it well? Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. We, we, we have a, a massive database. You know, we have a database of over a million engagement surveys. We have our own motivators assessment that identifies what are your key motivators at work. We've had almost 80,000 people take that. And so we, we, we look to the numbers, then the case studies, and then give people the tools or the triggers, right? And this deficit was fascinating because we asked, man, we asked leaders, anybody that was leading a team or, or a group, do you think you're above average in expressing gratitude and recognition in the workplace? You know, and um, almost 70% said, oh, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, like, I'm really good at this, right? And then we asked their direct reports, do you think your manager, your leader, your supervisor is, 
is good at giving praise and recognition, you know, on a regular basis. Um, only like 33% agreed. <laughs> so we have this perception that we're good at it, you know, and that, oh, I'm, I'm a grateful person. Like no one, when you say, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, one thing you need to know, I'm really ungrateful. I really, I never say thank you. You should know that right up front, <laughs> you know. Our, our self-perception is, is always positive. And so that creates a, a, a bit of a deficit, right? The other thing is, is, is these myths around how do we really get people to be productive, and particularly in a crisis, right? Say, well, tell you what, put the fear of God in them. But the fear, boy, that, you, you want to get people jumping, you know, threaten their jobs. Or really be demanding, you know, be hyper, you know, hyper, be the hyper manager, the, 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 the mini, you know, the mini manager. And, and so we looked at that as well. And so we asked the question, we said, well, look, if your job is in jeopardy, how, how likely are you to work, work harder? And 37% of people said, yeah, I would. So we said, well, what about the micromanager? You know, they're super demanding. And they, 38% said, yeah, I would. We said, well, what if your leader expressed gratitude often and encouraged you and recognized you for your work? Well, 83% said yes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, pick your number, 37, 38, or 83. I mean, like you say, it's, it's, it's common sense. Go, go with gratitude. And yet there are all these myths out there that if, I, if I'm expressing too much gratitude, I'm going to be perceived as soft or people will take advantage of me or, and on and on. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about the myths as we go forward. And I think that's, that's one of the big inhibitors. I'll tell you another thing just really quickly is your manager's behavior gives you permission to act the same. So if your first manager was, was fear-based, was a micromanager, didn't express a lot of gratitude, oftentimes that's the kind of leader you become. Because you watch leaders. I want to become a leader. What does a leader look like? Well, my leader looks like that. I'm going to act like that. So as, as we work with executives and we're doing more and more executive coaching, be aware that your behavior gives people permission to replicate your behavior. If you're a jerk, they'll be a jerk. If you're kind, they'll be kind. And it seems so simple, and yet it gets lost in the noise. Fascinating, isn't it? So Chester, as I was reading your book, I was wondering, to what extent do we need a societal mind shift on gratitude? And what would that mind shift entail? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, you know, I was just having a conversation that, you know, one of the things I hope happens post virus is that we're all more grateful, that we're more kind, and we're more patient. You know, it's, it, it's really interesting. I think the shift needs to happen that we've really got to believe that we finally have to believe the numbers that, you know, in the States, only about a third of people, and in many cases, less than 30%, get up in the morning and are excited to go to work. And, you know, that's a failure in leadership. And globally, it's even higher. It's, you know, 85% of, of people in the world say that they're either disengaged or actively disengaged at work. Well, think of the productivity loss. Think of the productivity loss, right? So you've got to finally believe the numbers. And the shift has to be this. And I get this all the time, Michael. So, you know, we, we coach executives, right? They get their 360. Almost always, you know, gratitude recognition shows up in the bottom third, if not the bottom two or three. And as you talk to these executives, they'll say, well, I, I would do it more often. But I, you know, I, I, the people think I'm soft. And, and, and you can overdo it. I love that one. You can overdo it. It becomes trite. And it becomes, you know, it loses its meaning. And I said, okay, now you've seen your 360, right? I want you to ask yourself, what was the last time you, th you think anybody from your team went home and said to their spouse, their partner, their family, man, 
I just couldn't get anything done today. Like seriously, every time I turned around, it was like a cake, a thank you card. They were calling me in. They were praising me. There were spotlights. There was fireworks. I got to start working from home. Like that never, ever happens. And by the way, if you think you can overdo it as a leader, that leader is not you. Okay, so put that out of your head. So that, that, that mental shift has to be, look, I, I had a wonderful leader say, you know what, in my opinion, if you think you're overdoing gratitude and recognition, you're probably about right. That's the shift that needs to happen. To what extent do grateful leaders suffer from an information deficit? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. This is the Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness. Brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What are key leadership qualities for a digital age? How can we become a mindful leader? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Jacqueline Carter, co-author with Rasmus Hugard of The Mind of the Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. First, why is it critically important and almost foundational to understand how you lead and who you are? When we looked at a lot of leadership development programs today, they will start with external factors, Mm -hmm. like how good you are at strategy or how good you are at marketing or how good you are at finance. But it's kind of like building a house and starting with a roof. If you don't fundamentally understand who you are and how you show up, and most importantly, and this is really the mind of the leader gets into how your mind actually works, then you're really missing out on the opportunities to be able to dive deeper into how you want to show up. What is your vision for yourself as a leader? What are the values that are important to you? And based on those values and that vision that you have for yourself of what kind of leader you want to be, how can you actually make sure that you work towards achieving those? And I think specifically for a lot of leaders, what we saw is that what got you here won't get you there. So leaders who are really successful rising up through the ranks in their career, they get to this inflection point where all of those great things that they were really good at, and when they get put in that that one leadership role where now they actually have to get others to be creative, others to be able to develop the projects and tools and systems, it takes a different mind. More information on this and other center resources is available at businessofgovernment.org. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour, 
A Conversation with Authors, a special series focusing on leading through uncertain times. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Chester Elton, co-author with Adrian Gostick of Leading with Gratitude. Chester, you point out that managers who lack gratitude suffer first and foremost from a problem of cognition, which I found very interesting. I would hope that you would elaborate on that. And to what extent do ungrateful leaders suffer from an information deficit? You know, you know they're kind of tied together, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're not getting the right information. They're not looking for the right information. You know, we say, uh, you know, seek out information, seek out you know, have people tell you what they're doing. Have your team uh, look around. You know, as leaders, we can't always see what's going on. And they're, they're, they're getting a lot of information about maybe, maybe products and services and customers. They're not getting the information about their team that they need to put people in a position to succeed. And it, and it, and it is really in- interesting when you talk about that information deficit. You know, today people say, look, there's an information overload. And there's no question about that. So in your filters, are you getting the right information? And, and too often, leaders do not look for the really important information about their team. What motivates them? What engages them at work? You know, what are, what are some of the roadblocks to them being more effective? You know, I love leaders that ask a couple of questions, and they're very simple. Again, it's all very simple, right? Is how, how are you doing now? And I think in the virus, it's not just how are you doing, it's how are you doing now? Because, you know, you can have some information pop up on your phone. And I'm like everybody else. I go from ridiculously hopeful to absolutely terrified in 30 seconds. Right? So I want to know, how are you doing now? And then secondly, how can I help? That, that question from leaders is really important. So I get where you are. How can I help? And that allows you to really collect all the right information about where they are emotionally where they are in their tasks and their, and their assignments, where they are in a customer relationship, and how you can help and help them celebrate along the way. I know that was a long answer. Hopefully it made sense. Chester, what are the benefits of gratitude that is regularly expressed or shown to employees? And how does the expression of gratitude benefit both the employee and the employer? You know, I, I know we're, we're, we're talking very specifically, and thank you so much for our book, Leading with Gratitude, available to find bookstores everywhere and online at Amazon, which is probably the safest place to get it right now. Um, I, I want to bring to your listeners another book that I highly recommend. It's called The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson. Now, it, a fearless organization, it's a very clever title in that it doesn't mean you charge into the void without fear. What it means is, is I have a workplace where I don't feel threatened, where I feel safe. And when you feel safe, when you're psychologically safe, uh, you're free to innovate. You're free to just solve the problem. And, and what, what, communic- what recognition does when regularly shown to employees is it makes them feel safe. I'm safe in my work. I'm safe in that, you know, we, we, we did a wonderful study. We wrote a book called The Carrot Principle. We said, how did your leader break trust with you? Because recognition and gratitude is a great driver of trust. And they said they broke trust when they took credit for my work. And I thought that was really insightful. When your leader takes credit for your work, how much more likely are you to, you know, uh, charge through a brick wall again? Not likely. So what gratitude does is it calms your it calms your soul. It really does. 
it makes you safe. And once you are safe, you can admit that you made a mistake without fear of retribution, right? That there is a problem, you are not the problem, right? In a fear-based culture, uh, when you make a mistake, the first thing you do is hide it or hope nobody discovers it or, or blame it on somebody else, right? So it's, it's really interesting that the benefits to a culture of gratitude it's, it's that psychological safety and the idea that I can innovate without being punished, that I can admit a mistake without fear of lose, losing my job. And when someone celebrates you, that emotional bond goes a long way to help you get through tough times. You know, I worked for a, a wonderful leader, Kent Murdoch, and he was the one that actually challenged me and Adrian to start writing books on recognition and gratitude. And it's really interesting. We didn't agree on everything, and we would sometimes have fairly heated arguments. I never doubted, though, that Kent, and this is going to sound strange, I never doubted that Kent cared for me and that Kent loved me. And I never doubted that I cared for Kent, would never let him down, and that I loved Kent. Well, in that dynamic, we could do a lot of things, and we could have a lot of very candid conversations without walking away saying, well, I'm going to quit, right? Walking away saying, I got to fix this. So that dynamic and the benefits of gratitude go way beyond simply improving your score on your 360 evaluation. It goes a long way into creating trust, innovation, and becoming a problem-solving, very inclusive and caring culture. One of the things people get confused about is they see gratitude as simply being nice. How is gratitude more than simply being nice? And can leaders who express gratitude also be demanding? And uh, perhaps you could illustrate the difference between niceness and gratitude, referencing some of the leaders you profile in your book. Yeah, I think the, the perfect example of being incredibly demanding and yet using gratitude every step of the way is Alan Mulally, who, you know, in the last recession, Saved the Ford Motor Company. A wonderful book, by the way, called American Icon. If, if you're a big reader, it's fascinating. Great on audio book as well. Well, we got to know Alan quite well. And uh, he, he is nice. I mean, he's a very nice gentleman. I mean, if you met him, he's a lot of fun. Great smile, very engaging. As a leader, incredibly demanding. Incredible. You know, very, very accountability, first and foremost. He would check in with his leaders every week at Ford. And as it started getting crazy, they would have a check-in every day. And they would check the boxes. Is it green, yellow, or red? How are we doing? Where do we need help? Where do we need resources? And so on and so on. Now, make no mistake about it. Um, people do perceive, if it's a grateful leader or a nice leader, that they are soft. Alan Mulally is anything but soft. Uh, they wrote about him in the, in the press in Detroit saying he had a spine of titanium, right? I mean, this is the automotive industry, you know, eat what you kill. And the way he used gratitude and, and recognition throughout that whole process was phenomenal. Celebrating all the little wins along the way, really thanking people for showing up and going the extra mile. When he got to Ford Motor Company, their engagement scores were 20%. 20% of it, only two out of 10 people were showing up thinking this was a great place to work. When he left, it was over 90%. Incredibly demanding, holding his people accountable, and at the same time celebrating along the way. Uh, Ken Chenault, the retired uh, CEO from American Express, same way, very demanding. And yet his people loved him because he was so grateful for 
their efforts. And he knew he was demanding. He knew he was asking a lot. And when they delivered, he was especially grateful for the outcomes. So yes, I mean, it's, 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 it, is not a, it is not an indicator of a soft leader. I think it's an indication of a really engaged leader and a leader that really wants to not only succeed, wants his whole team to succeed. According to your research, why do employees leave organizations? Well, you know, the easiest excuse is uh, the easiest excuse is say, "Well, I'm leaving for more money," right? Like HR calls you and says, "Why are you leave?" Well, I got more money. <laughs> That's easy. No one goes in and say, "Well, I'm leaving because you know I, I I hate my boss and I was envisioning ways that I could have them killed." You know, no one says that, right? And yet, that is the biggest reason why people leave. They don't feel valued. They don't feel appreciated. It is, it is higher than compensation. In fact, and I know you probably have many stories like this, people will leave a job for less money to get away from a toxic boss. It's a very common story. Why did you leave? Well, you know, my boss was a jerk. Oh, well, good for you, <laughs> right? So th this whole idea that I'm, I'm leaving for more money is the safe answer, and, and we use it often. The real answer is, look, I just don't, I don't fit in the culture. I don't feel valued. I don't feel appreciated. My voice isn't heard. I don't think my boss cares about me. And ergo, I don't care about my boss. That's why I'm leaving. Very simple. Chester, how detrimental is it for a leader to withhold gratitude in tough times like today? Are there any anecdotes you could share from your research that underscores this insight? I'll tell you, a real-life uh, case study right now is Texas Roadhouse. So, you know, it was so fun, right? Peanuts on the floor, loud music, you know, ice-cold margaritas, you know, beer on tap, you know, fall-off-the-bone ribs and, and hand-cut steaks, right? Well, you've got to imagine. By the way, they have 600 restaurants, just under 70,000 employees. It's, I mean, it's a phenomenal organization. They don't advertise nationally. They're very local you know, they, they don't call them restaurants, they call them stores. Their store owners are, are commissioned with becoming the mayor of their town, right? So their takeaway business is about 5% before the virus. Now it's 100%. In four weeks, they were able to pivot from 95% of the revenue being in the restaurant to 100% being takeaway to profitability in four weeks. In four weeks, they became profitable. It's, it's, it's the most unbelievable case study of being agile, being nimble, being engaged, and caring about, number one, your people, number two, your customers, number three, your community. Of those 67,000 employees, and you can understand, these are you know, dishwashers, they're cooks, they're you know, table servers and meat cutters and, and bartenders. How many of those people do you think they laid off? Zero. Not one. Not one. In fact, in April, they paid a bonus. April love, they called it, for the people that are showing up. Now, a lot of people can't come to work in pre-existing conditions, fear, whatever. They said, that's okay. We've got your back. We'll pay you while you're at home. We're going to stay in touch with you while you're at home. We're going to keep you posted. And as things start to get safer and you feel more comfortable, we're going to welcome you back. We're going to welcome you back. Now, let me ask you something. How many people are quitting that job? You know, you, you read about restaurants. By the way, 5 million, 5 million people in the restaurant industry lost their jobs in the last month. 5 million. 
what's really cool about that is not one of them worked for Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> so this, this whole idea that I'm going to take care of my people, right? I'm going to take care of my people first. Because in taking care of my people, they're going to take care of my customers. And in taking care of my customers, I'm going to start taking care of my community. You know, they are so involved in their community. On Memorial Day, if you're, if you're in the service, you and your family eat for free on that day. They, they're, they're, taking, they're catering, you know, meals to the nurses in the hospital, to the firemen, to the policemen. They're making sure that people get fed. They make sure people get fed. And they're making sure their people have work. And it's phenomenal. They, they noticed that in the grocery stores that the grocery stores were running out of meat. And they said, well, we got meat. So curb to grill. We'll, we'll sell you the raw meat at below market prices, hand cut sirloin steaks for six bucks. It's ridiculous. There's, there's pictures of, of cars lined up for half a mile to pick up their steaks at, at Texas Roadhouse. You know, and, and, and when you've got your, your noble cause right, when you've got your mission right, when you really do care about your, your people, your customers, and your community, that's what happens. When all you care about is your bottom line and checking the boxes and getting things done and getting the widgets out the door, when a virus hits, you're dead. You're dead on arrival. You talk about something called the negativity bias, and you describe it in your book. Uh, I'd like you to elaborate on that. And how does it lead us to lose sight of another ingrained aspect of human nature, the ethic of reciprocity? Yeah, well, the negativity bias is, you know, as humans, we defend ourselves. You know, we're, we're, we're looking for danger. It's just our nature, right? That's why when we say don't have communication gaps, because in those gaps, we'll fill it with fear. You know, it's just human nature. We do not wake up in the morning and say, hey, what's going to go right today? <laughs> Especially now, you know, what's going to go wrong? We, we, we look for that negativity bias. You know, who's out to get me? You know, how is this going to go horribly wrong? And what happens is when you're in that mindset, it's very hard to, to reciprocate, you know, because when you're in that mindset, when someone asks you for something, is well, well, what's in it for me? You know, well, how does this, how do I win in this relationship, right? And you go from a win-win, you know, attitude to it's got to be a, a win-lose, right? And so you, you don't reciprocate. You tend to, to hoard, okay? There's, there's a win for me. Let's, let's pull that in. Let's, you know, it's, it's Mario Brothers. It's more gold coins, right? Um, and, and, and so we don't reciprocate. And, you know, and, and back to your, your, your previous question is when you hold back that reciprocity, then you get into that negative spiral. And that's what happens in critical times. If you were ever, and, and we, you know, are, are interviewing store owners at Texas Roadhouse, and, and we talk to Kent almost every day, every conversation is peppered with, can't thank you guys enough. Let's give a big shout out to so-and-so. You know, you know Jordan found us another million uh, masks. Uh, we're, we'll never run out of gloves. You know, uh, Kelly's doing a great job on that. You know, what are, what are the numbers from Texas? What are the numbers from, from Maine? On and on and on. And he's even got a, a chief cheerleader at the end of the calls. And he says, uh, you know, he leads, leads guys in a cheer. I say Texas, you say Roadhouse, you know, Texas Roadhouse. And they all scream and yell and run. They go, they, they, come on, let's bark it up. And they go, woof, 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 woof. I mean, it sounds... It sounds crazy. Let me tell you something. You get on those calls when you hang up. It's like you're, you, you know, you're charging out there. Absolutely, let's take the hill. You know, general, I'm all in. 
And and here's what's really great is because they're local focused, the way the guy does it up in Maine is different than the guy down in Dallas. It's different than the guy down in Charlotte. You know, they've got different uh, ways that they interact with their community. They've got different needs. You know, they've got different populations. The messaging is different. That's why they don't go with national campaigns. So one size doesn't fit all. And if you think that's, you know, the, the, the best way to go, you're mistaken. You know, know your market, know your people, and trust your people. I'll tell you one of the fun things, that, and we're going to talk a lot about Texas Roadhouse. And by the way, he's also in Leading with Gratitude by the book, right? <laughs> so, he, you know, he says, when things get crazy, when things get really hard, I call my crazies. Think about that. I call my guys that are always thinking out of the box. Because, you know, when it gets tough, you need guys thinking out of the box. Like one guy said, look, my community is so stressed. I took the back of my restaurant and I'm showing movies. He says, I parked the cars, you know, a space apart, social distancing in the parking lot. And we throw up a movie and say, you know what, take a break, bring your family. It's the old style drive-in. And let's watch a movie for two hours and try to forget our cares for just a little bit. And by the way, if you want some food, we'll bring it to your car. And that's not the point. The point is we all need a mental break. Get your kids out of the house. Keep them in the back seat. We'll, we'll, we'll pump up the, the, the music. And, and, you know, it's those kinds of things. One, one guy, they've got a, another um, restaurant called Bubba's 33. It's a sports restaurant, sports bar kind of thing. Uh, in one market, they hired a guy to, to play his guitar in the parking lot and just sing country songs and sing songs and, and people sing along. Like, that's not in a manual. Hey, you know what? Next time the virus hits, find out who plays the guitar. Stick them out in the parking lot. <laughs> That's not in any manual. Call your crazies. Trust your people. Trust your people. So, Chester, what are the ingratitude myths? Perhaps you could tell us more about each and provide some illustration of why they hinder leaders from being grateful and expressing gratitude. Yeah, cheer up. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my father was my greatest role model, happiest guy you'd ever want to meet. And uh, one of his favorite songs was an old song that said, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, you know, uh, latch on to the affirmative and don't mess with Mr. In-Between, right? It's an old, old song. He used to love humming that, right? And, and that's the thing, you know, uh, we talk about one of the great ways to dispel the myths as, as we get into the eight best practices is assume positive intent. You know, Hubert Jolie, who took, you know, Best Buy from a billion dollar deficit to a billion dollar surplus, he said, look, I, I may be naive. I just, uh, I just think that people come to work and they want to do a good job. And, and in trying to do a good job, they make mistakes and that's okay. You know, we can fix the mistakes and move on. I'm going to assume that people want to do a good job. Yeah, maybe there is one in a thousand that woke up that morning and said, my goal is to screw up three times before lunch. You know, I, I, I think those people are rare, you know, and, and, and embrace them and say, look, I'm here to help you. I, I mean, I, I want to make this work meaningful for you. We're going to celebrate your successes. We're going to take care of our customers. And, you know, it's going to be a great day. You know, my favorite data point is people that are happy, motivated, and engaged at work are 150% more likely to be happy, motivated, and engaged in their personal lives. Because work is so much of our day. It's so much of our lives. You know, and you've, I'm sure you've had this, where you had a job that was just absolutely miserable. And, and you know, you were, you were very, very, very careful to make sure that you brought every iota of that misery 
home and shared it with your family at the end of every day, right? And when your family was, was tired of hearing about it, you know, you went outside and you kicked the cat. I mean, you know, we, we talk about gratitude attracts gratitude. It just does, right? And if, and if you're working in, a, in an engaging, happy place, you bring that engagement and that happiness home. The, the folks at Texas Roadhouse, they, they're skipping back home. They're exhausted and they're, and they're grateful and they've made a difference. They've fed their communities. They've kept their, their coworkers working. You know, they've, they've served up legendary food with legendary service, and they just feel good about themselves at the end of the day. And, you know, that's, that's, that's the way everybody should be. And yet, so many of us don't have that experience, right? What are the eight most powerful practices for leading with gratitude? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, a special series focusing on leading through uncertain times. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Chester Elton, co-author with Adrian Gostick of Leading with Gratitude. Chester, your book, Leading with Gratitude, outlines eight most effective approaches found by for showing gratitude in our work. Before we delve into each practice, uh, why did you group these concepts into two categories? seeing and expressing because it, it is different you know it's it's kind of that information deficit that we talk about if you don't see what's going on if you don't have that input how can you possibly express gratitude in a way that's meaningful right yeah we talk about call your crazies my first one in best practice seeing is solicit and act on input hey what are you seeing out there what's going on tell me about what our customers are saying tell me about you know you, you you've used our products tell me the good the bad and the ugly right and, and, and we've already talked about assume positive intent, which is one of my favorites, by the way. And that's why I hope at the end of the virus that we are more grateful, that we are more kind, and we're more patient, right? Be more patient. Now, walk in their shoes. Look, you know, so often frustration sets in when somebody says, so where did that quota come from? Well, it came from corporate. Well, does corporate have any idea that that is an absolutely ridiculous quota? says they may or they may not. All I know is that's my quota, <laughs> right? So they have no idea that, you know, uh, we just had a Chernobyl uh, hit here and, uh, you know, nobody's going outside kind of thing. And then the look for small wins, you know. So, so often leaders go, well, yeah, look, when, 
when we hit the goal, we'll celebrate. Oh, big time. You know, there'll be an open bar and, you know, there'll be music. It'll be crazy. Well, you know, I, I often ask those leaders, say, well, don't you think it's important to celebrate small wins along the way? I said, well, why? The goal is the big win. And I'll ask him a simple question. I'll say, look, are you a sports fan? And, you know, most people have some team nature for. It. So great, great. So they'll say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Manchester United, you know, football fan. Say, great. Have you ever been to a match? I go, yeah, yeah. So when do you start cheering for Manchester United? He goes, oh, on the way to the match. I go, oh, yeah, the march to the match. You're screaming and yelling. And uh, before the whistle, oh, yeah, we get together with our team. And then, you know, when the, the, the game starts, we cheer and scream and a, a good pass and a good defense. And, of course, we cheer the goals. I say, great. I'm surprised. And I say, why? I said, well, I would think you'd want to wait to see the final score before you cheer. <laughs> and they go, well, that's ridiculous. I go, can you connect the dots for me now on this one? You know, of course we cheer along the way. If you've got kids that play sports, you know, you, you cheer that they got the cleats on the right feet, you know. So that, you know, celebrating builds momentum. And that's really the message. Celebrating those small wins builds momentum. We're doing this right. We're doing this right. It's, it's moving the ball down the field. It's, you know, it's, it's getting us closer to the goal. It's, you know, that's a little better customer satisfaction score so that you build momentum so that you can hit that big goal. So that's why the seeing is so important. You know, you're walking in their shoes. You're looking for those small wins. You're, you're, you're being patient. You're assuming positive intent and you're asking for their input. Well, once you've got all that, expressing becomes a lot easier, don't you think? That's wonderful, Chester. The seeing practices were very helpful. What about the practices that go into the bucket expressing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I love it. It says, look, uh, give it now, give it often, and don't be afraid. You know, and back to, you know, well, can you overdo it? No, you can't. <laughs> well, they're going to think I'm, I'm doing it too much. No, they won't. Trust me, we've got the numbers. And I've seen your 360 report. It's not you, right? Um, the other one, don't be afraid that we love it. He says, well, what if I don't do it right? He said, oh, guaranteed you won't. Oh, just check that box. You'll, you'll, you're going to screw up. The more you do it, the better you'll get. He says, well, I don't want to screw up. I said, well, so what's your, what's your alternative? Well, to not do any at all. I say, yeah, see, that's not a good plan, right? Uh, we, we know what happens when there's a culture that's devoid of, of gratitude and, and appreciation. So again, you know, just start doing it. The more, the more you do it, the better you get. I said, look, when you started to play golf, were you good at it right away? Nobody is good at golf right away, right? It needs an enormous amount of practice. It's, it's why, you know, I don't golf. It's too hard, right? So, you know, just get out and start doing it. So do it now, do it often, don't be afraid. Tailor it to the individual, know your team. You know, uh, back to Texas Roadhouse. Maine is different than, than Dallas, right? Know your players. How do they want to be rewarded? Is it time off? Is it another assignment? Is it, is it working on a new product and so on? And then make sure that your gratitude is tied to your core values. You know, rewarded behavior gets repeated. And so you want to make sure you're rewarding the right behaviors, right? And, and, and tied it in. The worst thing you can do with your gratitude is make it too general. You know, where you walk in and you think you're being, you know, hey, great job, great job. No, you're the best. No, you're number one. You're the Tower of Pisa, you know. That, that, gets, really, that gets really old really fast. When you, when you tie it to your core values, hey, listen, I saw what you did with that customer. You know what? More than anything, you, you, you displayed integrity. You know, and that's one of our core values. You know, keep doing that. Let people know that we're, we're good, our, our word is good, that our, our, our warranties are valid, 
That was brilliant. You know, see, now it's kind of like, well, thanks for that expression of gratitude. And I'm going to do it again. And I know that that's valued. And then the last one that I really love and I think is key to any culture of gratitude is make it peer-to-peer. You know, so often we think it's all top-down. You know, it's the, it's the leader, you know, and I've got to see everything that's going on. And I'm the, I am the keeper of the gratitude, right? Uh, where it couldn't be further from the truth. Once you start to get that cross-pollination, once you start to get, you know, co-workers recognizing co-workers, that's when you know it's really stuck. That's when, you know, it, 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 you've got a culture of gratitude and, and you're on, on track to do great things. So, yeah, seeing and then expressing. The two go hand in hand. I think you need to see it first, right, before you can express it in a, in a meaningful way. So, Chester, a lot of your um, profiles and case studies or anecdotes that are in your book deal with the private sector uh, leaders. I, I was wondering... Uh, whether or not a lot of the information and insights and tactics you offer uh, are applicable to government executives and how much work have you done in the government and in private sector? We've actually done a lot of work in in the public sector. You know, we've done work with uh, the state of New York, the state of Michigan. One of my favorite examples of really a culture of engagement and gratitude is USPTO right down there in Washington, D.C., uh, Fred Steckler, uh, one of my dear friends, and you know they they are one of the best places to work in government year after year after year, right? And why? Well, because they really do you know express gratitude on a regular basis. It, you know, to meet Fred is is to just be enveloped in gratitude, right? His smile, the way he cares about people, the way he knows his people, the way he engages people. So I think, especially in the public sector, where Let's face it, I, I've got a real soft spot for teachers and, and, and government workers because they're just not appreciated, right? When budgets come around, everybody says, you know, our teachers are the most important people in our lives, and yet we never fund them to where they need to be. We always say we love our democracy, we love our freedom, and yet when it comes to paying our government workers, you know, we're, we're very quick to, to, to slash those budgets. So I think, you know, in, in those environments, particularly around election years when, you know, the government workers tend to be the pinatas, gratitude needs to go up. Because, you know, the reason we have a democracy, the reason we have freedom is because there are people that show up every day at USPTO, at the Department of Defense, Department of Agriculture, and you can go on and on and on and on, right? that keep us safe and, and keep the roads paved and keep the, you know, the police and the firemen in their cars and on their trucks. So, you know, it's, it's even a more stark example, I think, there, because what does gratitude cost? It, it costs you nothing. It's, it's a handwritten note. It's a text. It's a phone call. It's a shout out in the, in the team meeting. It's that those little small wins along the way. You know, we've got more people back to work today. You know, we've, we've flattened the curve. We've, we've got masks for everybody, all those kinds of things. Those simple expressions are are even more important in the public sector and 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 the ngos that we work with and i really do believe gratitude attracts gratitude you know if if you if you've got that culture up front then your constituency really does appreciate that more and more so i i really appreciate the question because it's actually very near and dear to my heart so chester what prompted you to write leading with gratitude and perhaps you could share with us how you conducted your research. 
You know, we, we've been looking at culture and leadership for 20 years. You know, it started in, in recognition. We moved into culture. We found very quickly, if your culture isn't right, the recognition doesn't matter. We went into teams and, and individual motivation. You know, our book, What Motivates Me, and our motivators assessment was, was a great tool there. And we just felt it was time to come full circle. We were looking at, you know, the political discourse. doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. It's just the vitriol and the, it's just nasty, right? Conversation has, has, has left, uh, you know, public dialogue. It's all screaming and yelling. The, the online bullying, the bullying in schools and, 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 and that whole wave that was coming up, that it was so easy to be cruel on social media. You'd, tweet something out and then drop your phone and walk off the stage and say, well, aren't I clever, you know, and, and, and very hurtful and, and teen suicides going up. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff, Michael. And I said, look, it's, it's time to get back to, to gratitude. It's time to get back to being kind. You know, we're better than this as leaders, as organizations, as schools, as teachers, as governments. We are better than this. It's time to, 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 to call out our better angels. And, and, and what was really gratifying is as we started to interview these, these leaders that had phenomenal success. You know, one of my favorites, uh, Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of WD-40. I know you have a can. Everybody does. You know, we, we've got him on our LinkedIn live show. You can look it up in our archives. This idea that we don't make mistakes, we have learning moments. You know, that we're forgiving that the time, you know, it just, it just became so evident to us that this book had to be written and, and that we had to, to put names to it of ridiculously successful executives and organizations. And you know what was really gratifying, Michael, is every one of them took it home. Every one of them. At the very end of the book, we have the baker's dozen. You know, gratitude practices for your family, gratitude practices in your personal life. And, and they're wonderful as well. Just more meaningful conversations around the dinner table. You know, give your kids a break. They're kids. <laughs> you know, we're, we're now homeschooling my five-year-old grandson. You know, his parents needed a break. And you know what? It's hard to homeschool a five-year-old because he's five. <laughs> you know? Anyway, uh, thank you for the question. You know, we, we, we're very pr proud of this work. And we're, we, we have a wonderful book website, by the way, leadingwithgratitudebook.com you know, where you can go in and get some wonderful resources. You can download the forward. You can download the first chapter for free. There's uh, this podcast will, will be in there. We've got some fun and engaging videos. Our, our training company is thecultureworks.com, where if you're looking to, you know, uh, develop some more skills, we've got our motivators assessment that's available there. And, and, and just a lot of tools for you to do some self-improvement while we're all Kind of, kind of hunkered down because we really do believe leading with gratitude. It, it is absolutely, we've got the data, the case studies to prove it. It's the better way to lead an organization. It's also just a better way to live. It just is. You know, my, my dad used to say, you know, happiness is a choice. You know, choose to be happy. And, and one last cute story, because I, I can't go through any kind of an interview without telling a, a adult Elton story. You know, he's my... But my, my, just my mentor, my biggest cheerleader, he had this great attitude, and you'll love this, Michael, that no matter what anybody said to him, he took it as a compliment. <laughs> so very specific, we're at church, and in my faith, it's all volunteer, right? Volunteer minister. So he was the volunteer youth minister. 
And, you know, every congregation's got that one person that's just miserable and wants everybody else to be miserable. They, well, you know, you, 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 right now I know there's somebody who popped into your head, right? So we had that older woman in our congregation. She comes up to my dad after church one day and literally says this. She says, you know, Brother Elton, you think all the kids in this congregation just love you. Well, I'm here to tell you, they don't. And he says to her, well, thank you. And she says, it wasn't a compliment. And he said, too late. <laughs> so, you know, let's, let's lighten up. Let's be a little more kind. Let's be, you know, let's be more grateful. Let's be more patient. Let's live with gratitude. It's, it's just a better way to live. So, Chester, I want to thank you for joining us today. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your book, Leading with Gratitude. Please let us know, uh, let the audience know how to get a copy uh, and where they can get any resources or exercises that are available um, where can they find those? Uh, and thanks again for joining us. Well, I'm grateful for your time too. And you know, we really do hope that the book really does catch on. It's a wonderful roadmap how to create your own culture of, of gratitude at work and at home. So please, anybody can buy one, buy two. Mother's Day is coming up. You know, there'll be a bar mitzvah, a birthday, an anniversary. It's always the inappropriate gift. So thanks again for your time, Michael. You, you were phenomenal. Feel free to call me again. This has been really engaging and really fun. Thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, a special series focusing on leading through uncertain times with Chester Elton, co-author with Adrian Gostick of Leading with Gratitude. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. How have the strategic priorities of GSA's public building service changed in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic? What is PBS doing to adapt to the changing expectations of its federal agency customers arising out of the pandemic? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Dan Matthews, Commissioner, Public Building Service with the U.S. General Services Administration, next week on the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Network.